Well, um, as you think about finishing your Christmas shopping, and I don't even want to ask how many of you are done with your Christmas shopping, because I don't want everybody to hate on you, including me. But um, I heard a story a few years ago. There were several men in the locker room at a YMCA after a workout, and a cell phone rang. So one of the guys answered the phone and had the following conversation. Hello? Honey, it's me. Are you at the Y? Yes. Great. Well, I'm at the mall doing some Christmas shopping, and I saw this beautiful diamond necklace, and it's absolutely gorgeous. Can I buy it? It's a long pause. What's the price? Right? Everybody knew the question. Only $1,500. Well, okay. Go ahead and get it if you like it that much. Uh, and I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw the 2018 models. I saw one I really liked. I spoke with the, spoke, the salesman, and he gave me a really good price. How much? Only $80,000. Okay, but for that price, I want all the options. Great, great. And just one more thing before we hang up. It might seem like a lot, as if it hadn't already, but I stopped by the real estate agent's office this morning, and do you know that house that we looked at last year? It's for sale, the one with the pool and the garden and the huge front yard. How much are they asking? Only $450,000. Well, go ahead and buy it, I guess. Just bid $420,000, okay? Okay, sweetie, thanks. I'll see you later. I love you. Bye. You too. And after ending the call, the man takes the phone and holds it up and says, does anybody know whose phone this is? <laughs> Ooh. You know, it sounds like somebody's going to have a very complicated Christmas. <laughs> I hope that you don't. I hope that your Christmas isn't complicated. I hope it's um, simple. And so we started this series a few weeks ago, we just called Simple Christmas, in an effort to try to um, engage with the Christmas season and the meaning of Christmas in a more authentic way. So last, uh, two weeks ago when we started, our two points were, do less, worship more. Last week we said, spend less, give more. And all of our um, messages have been very simple. If you miss one, I encourage you to jump on our podcast and get it. Uh, so today's the same thing. Two simple points, fear less, love more. These two thoughts are so interrelated, they really could be one point because to love more is to fear less. Now there's a lot of ways that God reveals himself as we're going to look today and we think about this around the Christmas season a little more. God reveals himself through angels, circumstances, the Bible, dreams, miracles, other believers, and one of the ways that God reveals himself is uh, through and to people. So the people who wrote the Bible were far from perfect. You know, some of them were great leaders in the Bible who had serious flaws. And some of the people in there were just plain old nobodies. Now, if you were God and you had to make a choice, you were going to announce to the whole world, think about this, all humanity, you were going to announce that you were sending Jesus to the earth, where would you start? Who would you tell first? Who would you trust with that message? Who would you want to be Jesus' welcoming committee? Would you want it to be the Pope, the President, Scientist, Queen Elizabeth, the Philharmonic, Vienna Boys Choir, Blue Man Group? 
Mark Zuckerberg? Come on, give me something. Somebody. Who, who would you want it to be? Well, let's look in Luke chapter 2 this morning, verse 8, and let's read what God, who God chose. And there were shepherds. We'll talk about them. Living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, before we go any further, we all probably know that shepherds are people who, you know, take care of sheep. What you might not be aware of is how low their status in society actually was. Shepherds were not very well respected. Their occupation was a last resort, usually reserved for teenagers or old men. So if you think about maybe our modern equivalent, this, we don't really have shepherds, but this might be you know, jobs that people work because they have to, not because they want to. So you might have someone who flips the, the hamburger buns at McDonald's or maybe a greeter at Walmart. I mean, I, I'm not saying that these are unhonorable jobs. I'm just saying these are jobs that don't have a high status. And that's the same thing that shepherds had. They had a job that didn't have a high status. So I want you to imagine for a minute what's about to happen. An angel has appeared to these shepherds, these Walmart greeters, these hamburger bun flippers, and he's about to entrust them with the greatest message the world has ever known. And they're going to be the welcoming committee for Jesus, and they're going to be the ones that are going to go tell everybody. Now just imagine how that might play out. Put yourself in everybody else's shoes for a minute. So you, you go, you go to, to McDonald's and the guy behind the counter, or you go into Walmart to get your Christmas shopping done, you're moving fast, clipping along, and, and the Walmart greeter stops you, pops a little yellow smiley face on there, because that's what Walmart does. And on the way by, he, he or she, she says to you, hey, an angel appeared to me. Okay, like half of you are already out. <laughs> Let's be honest. An angel appeared to me and told me that God's going to become a human. And he's going to live in my neighborhood and he's going to build stuff and he's going to change the whole world from my neighborhood. Now just be honest for a minute. Most of us are looking at them going, hey man, I just came to get some chips and dip. You know what I'm saying? I, like, where's the, where's the drink aisle? You know, I, I don't have time for all that. I don't care how spiritual you pretend to be, you're going to dismiss that pretty quickly. So why would God then choose people who would be so easily discredited? Well, shepherds were looked down upon so much that their testimony wasn't even acceptable in court. If a shepherd saw a murder, they couldn't even go to court and testify that they saw it. Nobody would believe them. You're just a shepherd. Shepherds weren't allowed to enter the temple on the Sabbath. They didn't have the right status. They were like the bottom feeders of Jewish society. They were um, subordinary. Now on that dark night, this ordinary night, with ordinary sheep and subordinary shepherds, God shows up and that dark night suddenly explodes with light. One minute the shepherds are lulled asleep by the boredom of just another night and the next minute they're rubbing their eyes, staring into the face of an alien being. An angel. Why was the good news first given to shepherds? I'll tell you what I think it was. I think God was making a statement. 
I think the statement that God wanted to make to the entire world is that he would reject no one. Even the persons whose, whose testimony you won't believe. Even the one who you would discredit. Even the one who you wouldn't listen to. Even the one who you thought maybe had lost their mind and had nothing to say. God would not reject even that person. Because God won't reject anyone. That's great news. Now how do you think these subordinaries would receive this encounter? Verse 9 tells us, we just read it, they were terrified. They're staring into the eye sockets of an alien. <laughs> and they are absolutely terrified. Verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for which people? All the people. I bring you great news, good joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's Christ the Lord. Do you know the most often given instruction in the entire New Testament? It's not love your neighbor. It's not give. It's not forgive. It's not any of that. The most often given instruction in the entire New Testament is do not be afraid. 300 times it shows up in the New Testament. Do not be afraid. You know why? Because God understands our tendency toward fear. You and I are vulnerable to it. Fear creeps in in so many ways. So what do we fear? Well, I can't list it all, but let me just try to give you a frame to think about it through. We fear terrorist attack, financial meltdown, job losses, health care, tax reform, super virus, school shootings, global warming, North Korea, cancer, shortage of honeybees, the world's ran out of helium, I don't know if you know that, the polar ice caps are melting, heart disease, we're afraid of being sued, of failure, of going broke, the mole on our back, the newest competition, and the clock that won't stop ticking toward the grave. So, so look, and by the way, it's only gotten worse. According to Report Magazine, ordinary children today have the, are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in the 1950s. So we live in a fear culture. We live in a fear world. And all the things that I listed are all the things that could go wrong. And we would certainly understand why any one of us would experience some level of fear at some point over, over some of those. We all understand that, but that's not what the shepherds were experiencing. Look very carefully this morning. That's not what the shepherds were afraid of. They were terrified of an angel. It wasn't North Korea or cancer or heart disease or job loss or anything else. They were terrified at an angel. Now, an angel is God's messenger. He's sent to communicate good news. What's the good news? Joy for all. Now, there might be natural reasons that they would be afraid, you know, after all, who sees an angel? Well, most people don't. So it's not like it's something people talk about all the time and they'll be prepared for it. The people who do see an angel, how many people know it's going to happen before it does? Well, nobody. <laughs> nobody has a warning. You don't get an email, hey, by the way, next Tuesday at 10, angel. Be ready. Well, you might be prepared. So they didn't expect it, but I, I think there's something beyond the natural reaction to an angel appearing. Yes, that would be 
intimidating. Yes, that would be overwhelming. But I think there's more here. In our own broken humanity, you and I are wired for fear. So we don't just fear things that could go wrong. We sometimes fear things that are right. Why? Because they're different. We, we, we don't expect them. When a, fir- when a person first encounters the presence of God, there's oftentimes fear. And almost any time an angel appears in the Bible, the very first thing, you look at all the angelic encounters in the Bible, almost always, if, if not always, the very first thing the angel says is, do not be afraid. It seems that the supernatural creates fear in us because it's so different from the ordinary broken lives that we live. So sort of like people who've lived in a cave walking out toward the light, we walk toward it, but we walk toward it even though it's better for us, even though it's out of the cave, even though it's a better future, we walk toward it with some apprehension because we are so fearful, we are even afraid of what is right. We are even afraid at times of what's better for us. I can remember the first time I went to church by myself as a teenager. And what I mean by that is, I was, I was raised uh, to some degree in church, and at 12, I, my, I dropped out, and you know my family didn't have a ton of support for going, so I just sort of wandered around for two or three years. At 15 years old, a friend invited me to church, and, and I went to church with them. It was a very different kind of church than I was raised in. I was raised in a very small church, <coughs> and it was very, um, sort, of very, sort of very rigid. And, uh, and I went to a church with my friend that was very lively. It was like, kind of like Kingwood. It was, uh, it was smaller than Kingwood, but it was, it was lively, you know, spirit-filled. And uh, a lot of things going on there. I had never been in an environment like that in my life. And I can remember when I walked in, it was very intimidating. I didn't know the songs. I didn't know the people. Uh, the people acted different. <laughs> they acted weird. I didn't know what to expect, and so I had a lot of fear about that, and I sort of, I sort of remember those first few months, I kind of had one foot in front of me in the pew, and I'd always sit on the end, because I had another foot out the side, just in case something really goofy happened, I gone, you know what I'm saying? I'm going out the back door, and, and I'm out of here, because the hair on my neck stood up half the time. You know what's incredible? What's incredible is a lot of the things that brought me fear in those early days today bring me so much joy and so much comfort and so much security and confidence and courage. I was was fearful of what was good because it was different. I was fearful of what was right. And the songs that we sing today and when we gather together as God's people and the purpose by which we gather together brings me so much, so much joy and so much peace. Isn't that funny how that can change? Well, well, it didn't change. I changed. And you know, when a non-Christian comes into a church, I, I don't mean this um, critically. If, you, if you're not a Christian today, I'm, I'm not... Uh, pointing this out in a negative way, but, but just hear me out. When a non-Christian comes into a church, they really don't fit. I don't mean that they're rejected by the people. I mean they don't really fit in the culture 
of what's going on. None of us do. You know why? Because we're so unlike God. And His presence just magnifies how different we are than He is. And I used to think when God would appear like this and say, don't be afraid, it was because his appearance would startle them. And now I've kind of changed, and I, I, I do think that's true, but I think there's another layer to it. I think that when God appears like that with that kind of encounter with his pre overwhelming presence and power and an angel, I think it's because you and I don't hear very well when we're afraid. And the point of the story was not that an angel was in the room. The point of the story is not that God showed up. The point of the story is not you had an experience. The point of the story is not you had a feeling. The point of the story is that God showed up to say something. And you and I don't hear very well when we're afraid. Our ears are clogged. The message doesn't penetrate our heart. It doesn't get into our mind. It doesn't change anything because we get hung up on, did you see that angel? No, I was under the bed. I couldn't see anything from where I was at. I was in the closet. What do you mean, did you see that angel? I didn't see anything. Freaked out. And, and when God starts to move, if, if you listen to that fear and run away, you miss the message that he came to give you. I also think it's very hard, nearly impossible, to feel love when you're afraid. We don't... We don't simultaneously experience feelings of fear and love at the same time. And so when God shows up, he says, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, 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 wait. I know this is supernatural. <laughs> Relax. I've got great news that's filled with joy, and I want you to experience my love. So... The Christian life is a journey in assimilating ourselves to the culture of heaven. Because that is what we will live in for eternity. So this morning, what do you fear most in life? Failure? Health issues? Financial struggle? Loneliness? Shame for something you've done. Maybe you're afraid that God is mad at you. A lot of people think God's mad at them. And, and, and half the time we're not even aware that we think that. We just keep avoiding Him. Maybe you're afraid God will reject you. How do you deal with those fears? How, how do you, uh, so the point is fear less, right? How do you fear less? I only know of one cure for fear. And it's love. I used to think the opposite of love was hate. I think the opposite of love is fear. And the only cure for fear is love. 1 John 4.18, my, probably my favorite passage on the subject says, there is no fear in love. How, how much fear is there in love? 1%? None. Fear has no love. Love has no fear in it. There is no fear in there. There is no insecurity in there. There's confidence and courage. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. It was perfect love that gave birth 
to Christmas and its perfect love that still gives life to it today. God's perfect love saw a need and did something about it. So really the whole Christmas story is about love. You want to have a simple Christmas? Make it about love. (laughs) When we move beyond the phony exterior of the world's version of Christmas and stand honestly and look at the real Christmas, we receive God's best and brightest gift, the unconditional, unending, unquenchable, unrelenting love of the Father. Love that becomes, I've got a phrase for you, fearless love. Let that love grab your heart. Fearless love, because there is no fear in love. Now you see, love's not just a noun, love is a verb. Matter of fact, if love never makes it to a verb, it's not love. It's something else. Love isn't just what somebody says, love isn't just uh, a sentiment. Love is what somebody does. Romans 5.8 says, but God, I love this word. You know what a demonstration is, right? You go to the, you go to the, you know, the store, and somebody's going to demonstrate these new knives. Look how well they cut. And all of a sudden, they're not just sitting in the glass behind the counter anymore. Somebody has brought them out here, and they're doing a demonstration. They're showing you how all of this works. And this is what God did. He didn't just hide off in some corner of the universe and say, I love you. The Bible says he demonstrated it. He sent his son Jesus to walk on the earth, to teach, to baptize, to do miracles, to to disciple, to to do uh, healing and all of these things. And then he died on the cross and he came back from the dead. You know why? It was a demonstration. He came to show you and I that He loves us. He didn't just tell us. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Like when you and I had nothing to contribute, when we had no no ability to advance the story, when we had nothing to add, we were all off doing our own thing, living our own lives, and when we were going the wrong way, God in the middle of that mess demonstrated his love. So it's all about love. Love felt your pain, so he made it his own. Love knew your death, so he took it as his own. Love tasted your emptiness, so he filled it with life. Love saw your poverty, so he gave you his riches. See, love is an action. It's not a word or a sentiment. Now what he asks you and I to do is receive that love and give it away. There was a lady who was um, shopping in the mall, and she had drug her three little children behind her all the way. And, and her little kids, you know, if you've ever been shopping with children in a crowded mall, I don't, I don't know if that describes purgatory perfectly. It's nearly there. And they're all the way, you know, they're grabbing stuff, and I want this, and I want that, and I'm hungry, and I want Cinnabon, you know, an ice cream cookie, and, you know, and I want that toy, and, I, and she just finally just absolutely had it. Finally, she, she uh, goes to the elevator to get out of there, and she presses the button, the door's open, and of course, you know, it's jam-packed. And so she manages to squeeze her and her three little children in. And as the doors closed, she couldn't take it anymore. And she just blurted out, whoever started this whole Christmas thing should be found, strung up, and shot. From the back of the elevator, a calm voice responded, don't worry. We already crucified him. 
You see, you see the difference in the way that we do Christmas and Jesus does Christmas? They crucified him for it. God gave us his gift of love, and he gave us the gift of life. And whether it's shepherds standing in a field at night, listening to an angel say, I have great news for the whole world. It'll be joy to everybody who receives it. Or whether we're gathering here today, the heart of Christmas is the same thing it was the first Christmas. And maybe the best gift you can give this Christmas is the gift of love. So I want to end this morning uh, by reading, and I want to ask the worship team to go ahead and come. I want to end this morning by reading uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Um, If you've been to a wedding, it's likely that you heard 1 Corinthians 12. Um, because it's the love chapter, right? I, I, we read it at weddings. I think we probably, it would be more helpful to read it at marriage counseling. <laughs> but somebody has taken the time to sort of rewrite it. And I'm not saying this is equal with Scripture. I don't mean that. But to kind of put it in Christmas vernacular. How would it look to live the love chapter out at the Christmas season. Here's what it says. If I decorate my house perfectly with plaid bows, strands of twinkling lights, and shining bulbs, but do not show love to my family, I'm just another decorator. If I slave away in the kitchen baking dozens of Christmas cookies, preparing gourmet meals, and arranging a beautifully adorned table at mealtime, but do not show love to my family, I'm just another cook. If I work at the soup kitchen and carol in the nursing home and give all that I have to charity but do not show love to my family, it profits me nothing. If I trim the tree with shimmering angels and crystal snowflakes, attend a myriad of holiday parties and sing in the choir's cantata, but do not focus on Christ, I've missed the point. Love stops the cooking to hug the child. Love sets aside the decorating to kiss the spouse. Love is kind even when hurried and tired. Love doesn't envy another's home that has coordinated Christmas china and table linens. Love doesn't yell at the kids to get out of the way, but is thankful they are there to be in the way. Love doesn't give only to those who are able to give in return, but rejoices in giving to those who have nothing to give. Love never fails. Video games will break. Pearl necklaces will be lost. Golf clubs will rust but giving the gift of love will always endure. Maybe this is, maybe this will be your Christmas experience this year. That you will fear less and love more. Fear less and love more. Would you stand with me today?
this moment of prayer is the most important moment of the day. God's had a word from the time we came in the building today. And that word stands. Your identity is not found in anything else but in Christ and what He says about you and what He came to say to you and what He has to give you today. Maybe you're here and you might not be a Christian or maybe you are really far away from God. If an angel came today and gave you a message, I know what it would be. The message would be, I have good news for you. I love you. And today, if you're in the room and you're far away from God, or maybe you're not sure you have a real relationship with Him, today you say, I feel like God is talking to me. I feel like God is pulling me. And I want to pray today. And I want to start a real relationship with Him. Would you just lift your hand and let me pray with you today? Would you lift your hand and say, hey, that's me. Pray with me this morning. I want to start a real relationship this morning. Just lift your hand up. Let me see it. I'll acknowledge you. Pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I see it. Thank you. In a minute, I want to. I want to pray for you. But I. I want to give the rest of us one other thought. If you were to be honest, what do you fear today? What do you fear today? And here's the word for you. What, what are you stressed about? What are you worrying about? What, what is causing you pressure today? The part of your life that you have the most fear is the part of your life where you are least like God because there is no fear in love. And so this morning, what, what I think that God wants to do is He wants to touch you. But you're going to have to not back up from the supernatural. You're going to have to not back up from the revelation of the angel. You're going to have to not back up from what God wants to do now. You're actually going to have to step toward Him and say, okay, okay, God. So this morning, maybe there's a place in your life where you just say, okay, God, I recognize that I'm different than you here. I recognize that I'm not like you. I surrender that worry. I surrender that pressure. I surrender that fear. And I ask you today to fill my life with your love. To fill my life with your love. I ask you to do it this morning. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say a simple prayer with those of you who lifted your hand to start a real relationship. And as we're praying with them, if you have a fear, if you have a worry, if you have a pressure, and you say, I, I, this is where I need God's help. Can I tell you, God is calling you today just as He spoke to those shepherds. And if you back up from Him, you might miss the message. I'm encouraging you to take a step toward Him. Would you just pray with me? Those of you who lifted your hand, dear Jesus, I invite you into my life right now. I ask you to forgive me, to wash me, to wash away all my sins, to make me new, to make me whole. I thank you today for forgiving me. I thank you for giving me a new start. 
I thank you for giving me a new identity. And I ask you to give me the strength to live for you. In Jesus' name. With every eye closed, as the worship team begins to sing, whether you just prayed that prayer or, or you have a, a sickness, a need, a pressure, a fear, a worry, as we begin to sing, I want you to come and let one of the prayer team pray with you. And what God's going to do is He's going to wash that worry. He's going to wash that fear. He's going to wash that pressure away in His overwhelming love. Would you come now as we begin to sing?